What up, what up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 169 of the show. And in this episode, I speak about watching the Mandalorian series on Disney+. I also speak about watching the movie Vampires vs. the Bronx on Netflix. And watching season three of The Shy on Showtime. But before we get into it, here's a very quick way that you can help support this show if you so choose. Speaking of Amazon, they fulfill a bunch of the merch that I have available. If you go to spuntoday.com forward slash support, you're going to find a brand new merch section where you'll find the iconic Podcasts vs. Anybody Super Soft Premium Cotton t-shirt. You'll also find the legendary Spun Today Podcast tee, which is in the style of the New York City Plastic Thank You Bags logo. For my fellow Dominicans out there, I have a dope Dominican Escudo t-shirt. You know where the Lacoste or Polo shirts have their little logo? Picture that but instead a Dominican Escudo. All available now in a variety of different colors for men and women in all sizes. In the Spun Today merch section, which again is at spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll also find a bunch of other t-shirt designs, long sleeve t-shirts, short sleeve t-shirts, color changing coffee mugs, and much, much more. Check out all the merch at spuntoday.com forward slash support. The Mandalorian. Now, I want to preface this by saying that I'm not one of these Star Wars nerds that says, may the 4th be with you on July 4th or whenever it is. Probably not July 4th, right? Independence Day. It's the 4th of something, the 4th of May or the 4th of September, something like that. And I don't know all the movies and I'm not that into it, right? But this show is so good that I wish I was. (laughs) seriously like this show drew me in so much that it makes me want to go back and see like the other i believe it's six movies like a first set set of a trilogy and the second set so i remember back in the day when and i just looked this up to make sure I, i have the right year in 2005 star wars revenge of the sith came out that movie i saw and i really liked it thought it was great And it actually made me want to get into the whole Star Wars series. And I tried going back and watching like the original trilogy, etc. But they were, they're movies from the late 70s, early 80s, the earlier ones. I just, for whatever reason, I, I couldn't get into them. Maybe because like visually they're like outdated, but it's like a modern or futuristic take. But from back in the day... So, I don't know, there's something off for me, but I completely get, especially from hearing firsthand accounts of, you know, folks that grew up during that time and when the movies came out back in the late 70s, early 80s, how it was like paradigm shifting and mind blowing within context, right? And what I appreciated most actually from the movie that I saw in 05 is how, and I might get this wrong. So you heavy Star Wars fans out there, take it easy on me. How the movies are released somewhat out of sequence. And there was always a missing piece that was skipped over. 
And that missing piece is this movie from 2005, Revenge of the Sith, which reveals who Darth Vader is, which is like the ultimate bad guy and how he became to be Darth Vader, etc. And it was Anakin Skywalker, which was a Jedi and the father of Luke Skywalker. I thought that was dope, like that, the cleverness of that, of having the foresight of skipping a piece and kind of like leaving them wanting more. And having the creativity chops to go back and fill in that void perfectly, I just thought was was awesome. And shout out, obviously, to George Lucas, the creator of the Star Wars universe, and all the other folks involved with creating something that's recognizably so epic, whether you're personally into them or not. Now, recently, there's been more movies, Star Wars movies in 2015, 2017, 2019, none of which I've seen yet but i'm telling you i got so into this mandalorian series that it makes me want to over the years as i understand it there have been you know other like star wars spin-off like cartoons and shows and content within the star wars orbit pun unintended and this mandalorian series is one of them it takes a deep dive look at and this is my rudimentary understanding of it of the lineage of one character from the second Star Wars movie, The Empire Strikes Back in 1980, which I believe was Boba Fett, and he was a Mandalorian. And this is the story of another Mandalorian many years later, whose race of people have in large part died off, but he's like this badass bounty hunter, lone wolf type of guy, and the story's written in, it's very much like a, like an old Western in that sense of like the righteous lone wolf character. And I want to take a step back just to appreciate that the show was created and written by John Favreau, which I've come to like over the years from different movies that I've seen him act in movies that he's directed and produced shows that I've seen. And over time, he's definitely become one of those like when people ask, uh, what's your uh, dream scenario, like dinner to have, you know, any famous people that are alive that you, that you can like sit and have dinner with and like pick their brains. He's definitely one of them. He's like so prolific and creative in like different areas and that I really appreciate that. And he's from Queens, shout out Queens, New York, where I'm recording this from as we speak. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, just to take, like he's been acting wise, he's been in, in shows like Friends and, and he was in the movie Rudy and uh, Avengers, Iron Man, Spider-Man, etc. Uh, the the movie Chef with John Leguizamo. But I want to take a step back to take an even deeper dive into that because a lot of these things he's either uh, produced or directed as well, which is even, even more impressive. So from a writing perspective, he's written, he wrote the movie Swingers. And I'm just reading off, a, rattling off a couple things from his IMDb here. Couples Retreat, which is a comedy. Chef, which I just mentioned. Oh, he has this dope series on Netflix called Chef that he co-hosts with Chef Roy, Roy Choi, which is great. They go, for example, to like different restaurants and and eateries like Wolfgang's and make a learn how to make a steak the way Wolfgang makes a steak, and they, he walks you through the whole process from A to Z. Franklin's Barbecue to learn how to smoke brisket. Like it's a dope show. And what I what I like the most about it is that him and Roy Choi have like this rapport, 
and it's great chemistry and then in every episode they they do that you know they go to like a famous place or whatever and they also then go back to i believe favreau's home and they always make something and they give you the ingredients of everything they make and they make it together and then they just like shoot the shit while they're cooking and it's very freeform podcast like which is probably why i gravitate towards it uh, most and it's a really dope show it's called uh the chef show or chef on netflix you guys should check that out as well and those are some of the things that he's written then here's just a few things that he's directed he directed elf which is a classic christmas movie starring will ferrell which by the way i saw like this which i, I believe also on netflix this like how it got made background story on the movie elf and he not only directed it but he was like the glue that came in and made that movie happen and made it what it is which again is an absolute classic and what i appreciate most here is coming up because it's like it shows like the arc of creativity that he has he can go from a classic christmas movie to a comedy to action movies like iron man iron man 2 both of which he directed the jungle book the lion king the like the 2019 like reboot that was like you know like animated with realistic looking like animals or whatever which i didn't really care for but it's still dope right that's like a cool thing to have as a notch on the old uh, creativity belt and by the way iron man 1 and iron man 2 which i believe like just completely revamped the whole like marvel series and gave birth to you know in large part due to iron man tony stark uh robert downey jr but obviously with John Favreau at the helm as the director, had a lot of influence in what that franchise became, in my opinion. The Avengers movies, etc. And he was also an executive producer on The Avengers Endgame, The Avengers Infinity War, The Jungle Book, Iron Man 3, The Avengers, Chef, The Chef Show, and it goes on and on and on. And then he creates this series, wrote and created the series the mandalorian and it's like disney plus's flagship show it's like i believe their first original like series or whatever or at least the first one that that was a hit but i think it it was the very first one and again i'm not into star wars stuff but the character looked dope like he has like a really cool look to him there was like a little hype behind it i was like fuck it let me watch the first episode and i did so with my wife and we were both like super into it. And she's someone else that she's never even seen like any of the Star Wars movies. And I say that, and I keep mentioning that not to shit on any of the previous Star Wars movies, but because I think it's that much more impressive that it didn't come to it with the weight or expectations or just f- fandom of the Star Wars franchise behind us. We're just like, well, let's just watch this show, give it a shot. And its ability to not only captivate you and bring you in but make you a fan i think is that much more impressive because we didn't come with that fandom baggage and it's a show that's already won like seven primetime emmy awards and a bunch of other awards but i want to tell you guys a, a bit about the the cast and crew here so the writers on it which i always want to shout out when i speak about movies and, and shows and stuff like that like i said it was uh, written and created by john favreau he's written on all 18 episodes George Lucas, the creator of the Star Wars franchise, has written on all 18 episodes. And then you have three other writers that uh, have written, written on uh, two about two episodes apiece, uh, one episode for one of them. And the writers are Rick Famuyiwa, 
Dave Filoni, which is also one of the directors I'm going to mention in a bit, and Christopher L. Yost. Shout out to those writers for creating a hell of a series. Now, the directors, which I thought was really interesting and something that John Favreau purposely did, was he worked with a team of six directors. So you have himself, who directed an episode, but those six directors directed two to three episodes apiece. And then there were like one or two like guest directors, one of which, by the way, was Carl Weathers, which is an actor on the show, which those of you who may not know him by name is the guy that played Apollo Creed in the Rocky series. And if you don't know who that is, then press stop and stop listening to this podcast right now. Um, so I want to shout out these directors, which are Rick Famuyiwa, which is, uh, also wrote one of the episodes that I just mentioned, Dave Filoni, Bryce Dallas Howard, which by the way, is the daughter of the iconic Ron Howard, Deborah Cho, Taika Waititi, Peyton Reed, Robert Rodriguez, and Carl Weathers. And of course, John Favreau. And what's dope about the, this like group of directors that he put together is the that stood out to me immediately was the diversity of them. So you have a couple women, one white, one Asian. You have a couple dudes, one black, one Australian, white Australian, and another white guy. And by white guy, I'm just referring as, as a white guy to um, like a North American white guy. And to me, it's just super interesting to see such a, a diverse looking group of people that all came around this common cause and common interest and were part of creating such a beautiful, well-done project. It's kind of like a, a microcosm of how society should function, right? The actors are, are super dope. Like I, like I mentioned, Carl Weathers is in it. The guy that plays the Mandalorian is uh, Pedro Pascal, which is the guy that played Javier Peña, the cop from the Narco series. Or the, not the cop, the DEA agent. Gina Carano, the UFC fighter or MMA fighter. Well, yeah, it was UFC. She's in it. She has a dope role. Nick Nolte plays the voice of a character. A character which, by the way, has, uh, the character's name is, where is it? Kuil, which is something else that I know Star Wars nerds probably gush over when they see it that I don't fully appreciate. Because again, I haven't watched the movies like that, but they as an homage to the movies, they sprinkle in like these secondary and tertiary characters from the movies that didn't really get much play. They were just like background characters, but they sprinkle them in throughout this series um, in more prominent roles. And the Quill character is one of those type of characters, which Nick Nolte plays the voice. A woman actually, uh, like a, a smaller, it's like a, not, not a dwarf, but a smaller looking like being, and, you know, like a, a very petite, small woman plays the actual character, the movement of the character. And but she has a like very elaborate mask on. And the mask has two other people controlling it remotely. And one person controls the mouth moving and another person controls the eyebrows and the ears moving or something like that. And just the orchestration between those three or four people to pull off this one character I find so like dope because they all have to be in sync, like just right, just to pull off the flow and the movement and the speaking of this one character. I thought that was so cool. 
and then the it's a similar type of setup with uh baby yoda which i'm sure you guys have have probably seen like memes of or seen them on t-shirts or something like that it's like this really cute looking version of baby yoda yoda is like that little green creature from the star wars movies that has the really big ears in the second season spoiler alert i'm gonna say it now if you haven't seen it yet fast forward a bit but in the second season you find out that it's not actually baby yoda it's baby grogu which is a descendant years away of yoda's like he's the same you know like creature type of creature same species and anyway, the that character is, you know, it's a it's a little puppet. And there's one person controlling the way it walks and moves. One per and there's three people controlling it at any given time. One person controls his mouth and his eyebrows. Another person controls his eyes and his ears. And that's how they make the magic of Baby Yoda actually happen. And I thought that was pretty cool. Now, the dopest thing, and again, this was driven and pushed forth by John Favreau and it's not maybe his original idea as he explained in uh this like post show like round table show that they have about the the creation of the Mandalorian series which I also highly recommend if you're into like behind the scenes like type of stuff which I really am to see like uh how the sausage gets made he he breaks down that you know different people were working on different aspects of this thing and but in this show like he had enough people around him that were willing to help bring the concept or idea to fruition and they pulled it off and what they did was develop a brand new shooting technology so a brand new way on how to shoot movies and tv shows etc and i liken it to how the wachowski brothers at the time i think now sisters i'm not sure but at the time the wachowski brothers in writing and directing the matrix the iconic matrix created a new way of shooting fight scenes and action scenes that revolutionized the way we've ever seen fight and action scenes since then with that like 360 view of like cameras of how they you know people like go to fight and jump and they like sort of pause and suspend themselves in air in like gravity and you have like a 360 view of them and stuff like that. Like they invented that. They created that during the filming of that movie. So I liken this with John Favreau and team developed this new shooting technology to that. And what they did was combine motion capture imaging or a motion capture camera with a video game engine and green screen. So what that did essentially, and I'm, you know, definitely no camera or videographer or expert or anything like that so i might be fucking up the terminology a bit but the gist of it what i got from it the explanation that that i heard was that that allowed the crew to capture footage from within a virtual environment and they use this video game engine which renders meaning like from you know video games that renders images in real time so and they showed like footage of like the studio and like stuff like that that they, that they worked in and picture like a planetarium looking place where you have a set, but instead of it being like all green screen all around, you have LED like screens that actually change. And if you want mountains, you'll see mountains. If you want a sunrise or sunset, you'll see that. If you want to see the stars and the plane, you know, the 
the ships going, you know, light speed, like you'll see that. So from a shooting perspective, you have like endless applications that I can't even begin to pretend to understand, but just like the, the scope that you have to work within is that much more less confined. And what's interesting from the actor's perspective, and uh, I believe it was uh, Giancarlo Esposito who is in this and played, he was in Breaking Bad. He plays, uh, he played uh, Gus Fring, the Boyos, uh, Boyos Hermanos guy. He said that from an actor's perspective, it's dope because you don't have to pretend as much. And I think Carl Weathers like touched on this as well. Like you get the instant feedback of what you're supposed to be seeing. So traditionally, if you're you know you're in a studio with a green screen and you're supposed to you know be like looking at a sunset, for example, like you have to as an actor pretend that there's a sunset there. But now with this footage, with this um new technology that they've created, like you actually see the sunset there as an actor, so you can play off of that. Then in post-production this is how efficient it is like across the board from an acting perspective a directing perspective you know a cinematography perspective and even in post you don't have to add in as much scenery and stuff like that that you would traditionally with like a green screen how they like in you know post-production like impose that onto the green screen and you know fill in what the actor was imagining etc because it's already actually there in the actual shot and I think that's so dope. And we're going to see like that technology continue to be used and evolve. And I believe it's going to be something that's going to allow productions with maybe a smaller budget be able to create that much higher quality content because of how efficient this technology proved to be. Anyway, that's my little spiel on The Mandalorian. It's dope. I highly recommend it. There are two seasons out right now. The... Second season is uh, two or three episodes shorter than the than the first season. So it's only like six or seven episodes. The first season is like eight or nine or ten, you know, which I didn't like just from a consistency standpoint. I didn't like that, that aspect of it. But I'm guessing because of like COVID and stuff like that, they may have had to have cut it short. But either way, I'm that's just from a selfish perspective, right? Like I wanted to see more episodes. <laughs> It's a dope series. I highly recommend it. It is available on Disney Plus, and you guys should check it out. Vampires vs. the Bronx. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. Vampires in the Bronx. It's kind of like that thought that you had when you heard the term vampires in Brooklyn. It sounds kind of corny and cheesy, and it kind of was, but it also kind of wasn't. And it couldn't be, be because... This movie played to a bunch of my biases, you know, being Dominican myself, being from New York. I'm not from the Bronx. I'm from Queens, but still New York, home team. It was very Dominican, which I appreciate, and not Dominican like Jeffrey Wright playing People's Hernandez in Shaft, even though I thought he did a good job. And again, that was probably just because it played towards uh, my bias of being something really Dominican. But yeah, it was really Dominican. My guy Mero from Dizzy Samero was one of the main characters in it. He played a bodeguero named Tony. There was another bias for you right there. I mean, come on. You have a Dominican guy named Tony in your movie. I'm going to sing you praises forever. It was written and directed by Osmani Rodriguez. There's one more writing credit on the movie as well. 
and that's to i hope i'm pronouncing his first name right blaise 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 hemingway and the movie came out around it's available on netflix i'm not sure if i mentioned that but it, it came out around halloween and the premise is that there is this real estate company moving into the bronx and gentrifying it you know and it definitely has um like a double meaning of just gentrification in general of how you know folks move into certain quote-unquote bad areas and start fixing it up and then when property values go up the people that were originally from that neighborhood can no longer afford it and they have to move out and move on and this happens over and over again right it's like turnover of of communities or turnover at a community level rather which is not cool right but what the funny spin and where like the vampires come in in this is that you know it's this real estate company that's moving in it's buying up a lot of buildings in this neighborhood in the bronx and the buildings are are getting like boarded up and you know people are leaving the neighborhood and these kids these three kids kind of like like young teenage kids one of them winds up witnessing this like group of drug dealers that go to or are going to attempt to like rob this like gothic looking guy and that guy winds up being a vampire winds up killing the drug dealer guy and then this kid witnesses that and he's trying to tell people that there's vampires in the neighborhood you know nobody believes him then he goes snooping around and then him and his friends find out that the the folks that own the real estate company that's just a front that they really are vampires and you know they just go neighborhood to neighborhood and literally and figuratively suck the lifeblood out of out of the neighborhood and they take it upon themselves to try to save the neighborhood and kill these vampires so it's a cool kind of homage to, I don't know if you guys remember a movie that I used to really like growing up called The Lost Boys from back in the day, from 1987, with uh, Corey Feldman and I believe Corey Haim as well, that seemed to have been in like all the fucking 80s movies back then. So it's kind of like a cool homage to that. And then again, I just fucking love the Dominican-ness of it. And they didn't like play any of it down. They didn't like water it down. It was like very unapologetically Dominican which i appreciated like crazy and they had a couple things um they had the bodega like i mentioned the bodeguero named tony that's always giving people shit on credit on like store credit if you grew up like near bodegas growing up i remember as a kid going to the bodega with my with my cousin that lived in brooklyn in east new york and we used to go and and like she didn't have to pay right away like the bodega like knew her and would go and oh my mom said to you know send her a pack of cigarettes and and give me a bag of chips and she'll come pay you later or whatever you know like stuff like that and i had a similar type of deal actually on in queens in jamaica queens on suffin uh i used to, i used to work there and around the corner there, there was a, a bodega we had that type of relationship as well so they had like that they had the cliche bodega cat <laughs> just like chilling lying around all bodegueros have a cat to like help kill like rodents and and shit like that in the store you had the the neon sign from the bodegas that like Mero definitely references all the time on on these samara and and they as an homage to that they on on that show these samara each of their illustrious guests get a neon sign at the end of every episode where they can like say like a phrase or whatever they want to say and that's like their neon sign to get like plastered above them before they like leave the episode 
So that was a, a, a cool part of the movie. Peralta clothing, which I, I bought a few pieces from, which my brother put me onto. I've gotten my kids a couple shirts from there. It's like a Dominican uh, designer. I'll probably I'll, I'll link to to their website in the episode notes if anybody wants to check them out. But I, I saw a couple of like Nueva York tees from Peralta clothing, which was cool to see. You know, guys on the corner playing dominoes. It was like, oh, <laughs> a really funny scene that my wife and I were like cracking up at were like when the kid, he's like running around, he's trying to tell like people in the neighborhood about the, the vampires and stuff like that. And he passes by these two guys that are uh, like playing dominoes or whatever. Or I think at that point, what they had been playing dominoes, but they were just like chilling or whatever on the block. And he like tells them, you know, like the music stops and he tells the, the kid tells these guys, you know, don't stay out after dark because something is going to happen or whatever, blah, 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 after nine o'clock and, you know, go home and this and that and the other. And he like says something to them, like to that effect. I'm like butchering it a bit. And then he leaves and then the kid leaves on his bike. Then it pans back to the two guys and they're like, yo, that was mad vague. <laughs> like, I don't know the way they shot that scene and the way he said what you didn't expect him to say, but it was kind of like a, like spoofing that cliche moment in movies where you know the protagonist is trying to tell everybody about what's going on it was fucking hilarious i like that there was this um this girl that throughout the whole movie she was just like doing ig posts like she had her not a youtube channel but like a ig like a live channel i guess or something like that it was called the the glow updates and like she was through that like narrating everything that was going on in in the neighborhood and like knew everybody's tea and shit i thought that was a pretty cool touch and at the end spoiler alert if you haven't seen it yet, it was really funny to see the the like neighborhood come together and there's like this fight team between the neighborhood and the vampires and uh the bodeguero tony spoiler alert uh meryl dies because uh, one of the vampires gets them and he actually had hanging up like as a shrine uh a bat of sammy sosa's from when he was in that that uh home run race title race with uh mark mcguire he had like one of those bats like as a shrine or whatever and he was like trying to use that to to like kill the vampire and that winds up being like a piece of that winds up being what kills like the head vampire at the end um so that was cool but it, it was they did like a funny montage of like the neighborhood like coming together to fight the vampires and it was like a like a mother in it with curlers in her hair and like the two two guys playing dominoes came and like broke a domino table on top of one of the vampires and said Capicua. and it was just like cheesy funny corny fun and i definitely recommend that you guys should check it out it's called again vampires in brooklyn and is available on netflix the shy season three now i love lena waith i sing her praises all the time on this show i think she's so dope she's a great creative but she's more than that she's a visionary she's driven she's passionate about what she does there's purpose behind what she does she knows and understands and creates from a place of understanding the importance of seeing yourself on screen which she speaks to a lot and by seeing yourself i mean as a minority as a black or brown person, as a queer person, as a gay person, as whatever minority that you are, that whatever marginalized group that you are a 
part of how important it is to see yourself on screen. And you, and in this season, season three of The Shy, available on Showtime, I appreciated her ability to do that so much more. Kevin and Keisha's mom, which I believe is Nina, she gets married in the beginning of the episode and she's a lesbian. So she's marrying another woman, obviously. And the season episode one starts off with a beautiful ceremony of that wedding. I was really interested to see before I get into all the other types of ways that she showed people themselves, you know, people from different backgrounds themselves. Um, I was really interested to see, and I know I mentioned it last time I covered the shy, probably season two or one and two, how they were going to quote unquote kill off uh, Brandon's character. Brandon, for those of you who don't know, played by uh, Jason Mitchell, was one of the main protagonists of season one and two. And there was a sexual harassment type scandal with him in real life with his uh, co-star, which played his uh, girlfriend on the show, Jerrica Little on the show. Her name is uh, Tiffany Boone. Pretty much, you know, lawsuits ensued and stuff like that. And he got kicked off the show. And this was be after season two. And I was really interested to see how they were going to like play that off if they were just not going to mention it or like what was going to happen. And they literally killed him off. They show, uh, I think, the very next scene after the, the lesbian wedding reception. Or maybe it was the scene right before it. But I think it was the, the scene right after. Because it started off, I remember it starting off like on a good note. Uh, they cut to Brandon's funeral. And they have his picture there. And, you know, his mom giving a, a eulogy after losing both her kids. And something that was very telling of a reality of Southside Chicago, uh, with all the the violence and 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 killings that that go on there, that they touch on here in this episode is that she asks the folks at the funeral by a show of hands, raise your hand if you if you've lost one son, and a ton of people raise their hands. And then she asks, raise your hands if you've had to bury two two children. And then less, but still a lot of people raise their hands, and that kind of just is a powerful message that rings true to that climate and some of the realities plaguing some of those neighborhoods in Southside Chicago and in other places, obviously in the country and in the world, but it's known as quote unquote Chirac for a reason, right? Although that's not to say that all of Chicago is like that, obviously, but it's definitely a part of it. A large uh, through line of this episode was Keisha's character, or a large, um, what do I want to say, like a storyline uh, throughout the se- this season was Keisha, Kevin's sister, uh, disappearing, um, being kidnapped, and them not knowing if she was killed. And, you know, they're like searching for her throughout the, the entire season and just showing how that type of situation, you know, just devastates families and tears them apart and how scary as a parent that would be to go through something like that, God forbid. Which, again, is another reality of shit that happens, right? She was at a bus stop waiting for the bus. It was getting later in the day and wound up getting snatched up. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen season three, fast forward a bit. But then we find out that she's been, you know, kept in a basement, kept captive by her abductor who was raping her, essentially torturing her you know obviously had her shackled this creepy but clean cut looking dude that was a fucking sociopath 
another storyline is Jake's older brother coming back to town, you know, wanting to look after Jake. And he is in a relationship with a trans woman. And I think creating that dynamic within the show was very important because, again, playing to the idea of how important it is to see yourself on TV, I think, especially in like black and brown communities where, you know, being trans or or queer or gay or anything other than straight is more taboo. I think it's that much more important to have roles like this on the screen, small screen, big screen, etc., so that folks from those communities can feel that much more comfortable with being them, you know? Imagine what it would be like to be a, uh, a trans or gay or queer person and thinking, you know, not seeing yourself like on TV or or reading about yourself in a book. And by yourself, I mean, you know, other people like you just thinking you're a freak and you're crazy and and stuff like that. And, you know, that's why suicide, suicide rates in communities like that are, are higher than the norm, etc. And, you know, it may be like a small thing to do, but uh, a very powerful thing to do. Or it may be seen as a small thing to do. I don't think it's a small thing to do to create stories and projects like this that includes characters that that we're not you know used to seeing i think it's super important and you know hats off to lena waith for having the foresight and gumption to to do so lena waith actually makes a cameo in in this uh season you know she has a uh a few scenes she plays a politician uh running for mayor against perry whose character is like the drug kingpin of the neighborhood and now he's running for mayor but he's like the drug kingpin from the shadows and you know puts forth this clean-cut image but but he's not and lena wade's character you know runs against him and it touches on the corruption within politics the power dynamics between you know power and money and and influence it's uh, interesting to see the the kids, the, the three main characters, Kevin, Papa, and Jake, which are, you know, which are really young during the first season and, you know, even the second season. But in this third season, they, they like, all, like, hit puberty like crazy. <laughs> and um, you see them, like, a, a bit older. And they're, like, more, like, coming of age and, you know, getting into girls now and, you know, smoking weed a little bit, getting into trouble like losing innocence at the same time like uh in, in papa's case for example his father's his hero and his father's a pastor of a, of a small church and he sees his father taking money from lena waite's character like an envelope of cash and after lena waite like speaks to the congregation at his church and they're doing it like on the sly and you know he confronts his dad and asks him hey what's that money for and you know, his pops pretty much tells him, you know, stay out of grown folks business. And um, his dad winds up getting like arrested at the end of the episode, but then is able to go back home. But it, it, it like tainted his image of his father to him, you know, which he held to such like high regard and and perfection, like on this pedestal of, of, of unrealistic perfection. It like humanized him a bit and I guess like made him a little jaded towards his dad. But also gave him the realization that the world isn't a rosy picture perfect place you know people are flawed emmett washington uh played by jacob Lattimore, which is uh like one of the most charismatic actors i've seen in a minute 
he's like stealing the show now. You know, he had a like major role in the show. Lala had a cameo. He like wind up partnering up with Lala, who was like a running like a neighborhood restaurant out of her house and made like bang food. And, you know, he worked at Sonny's chicken shop and he wound up speaking to the landlord. Actually, let me take a step back. And spoiler alert, by the way, again. Um, so Emma was working at, at Sonny's, right? Chicken spot. Sonny like looked out for him, gave him a job. You know, he was, you know, he's never been into like, like crooked shit. You know, Sonny was really good to him. And Emmett started like opening up Sonny's at night, you know, selling chicken on the low to try to make it like extra money. And like, he's always been a hustler, but he's never been like into drugs or anything like that, like selling drugs and like gangster shit. And then he partners up with Lala and then they're having these like backyard barbecues at Sunny's and stuff like that. But then he winds up raising like the bills, electricity bills and like everything, right? Because he's using all of Sunny's like equipment and shit like that. Sunny winds up finding out about it and fires him. And they have like this kind of like breakup. And what I thought was kind of grimy, but at the same time, like business is business type of thing. Emmett went to the landlord, which was played actually, I just remembered, by Lil Rel. He went to the landlord of Sonny's shop and, you know, offered the landlord, you know, because Sonny was behind on some rent, and offered the landlord to take over Sonny's spot and give him the lease to the place, which the landlord, you know, wound up uh, agreeing to. Emmett partnered up with Lala and they opened up this place. And he seems to be, like, doing well. He winds up proposing to his girl, Tiff at the end of the show which i believe is pregnant was she pregnant no she has a kid she's not pregnant uh they have a kid already uh but he seems to be getting his shit together uh, a little bit as usual his dick is getting him in trouble he winds up fucking lala which is like an older woman somewhat established and she's kind of like whatever it was just sex keep it moving type of thing but he's kind of like a little bit sprung on her probably because she's so like whatever it was just sex and has that like type of um like attitude about what happened but obviously that some something has to give in that situation in that triangle fucked up situation right either the business is going to go left or his relationship with with tiff which has never been better is gonna sour when the news breaks of what happened and whatever but that was a definitely an interesting storyline there and then it it ended on such a sad note with sad but like expected note with Ronnie, which is an individual, uh, was another, you know, big character during the first couple seasons. He was kind of like a low life drunk that, you know, came home from the military, kind of fucked up in the head and, you know, turned to alcohol. He was an alcoholic and, uh, kind of sort of lived off his grandma and, you know, doing odd jobs and stuff like this. But, you know, went on streaks of like getting his shit together, but it would always fall back into alcoholism and stuff like that. He wound up killing a kid in the very first season accidentally, but he did kill him because he thought the kid stole, uh, killed his son and stole his son's chain. RIP Coogie. Then that wound up coming full circle when in this season, he finally got like past the hump of, of getting his shit together like it really seemed like he wasn't getting his shit together he was like about to get the fuck out of dodge you know start a new life type of thing at the very end actually leaving the new uh chicken spot or the new the new uh restaurant spot of emmett and lala's 
he winds up getting shot in the back of the head. And it brings full circle the whole killing of, of that kid, Kugi, because the kid who killed him, you know, did so, killed Ronnie, and said that that's for Kugi. And, you know, he bounced. And that's how the season wrapped. It was really good. Shout out to the shy. Shout out to Lena Waithe, the creator of the show. And my bad for not saying so in the beginning, but I want to shout out the writers of the show as well. It's been a few seasons and it's already been greenlit for the fourth one. So there's a few different writers, but here we go. Lena Waithe, Justin Hillian, Marcus Gardley, Casalina Cathy, Kisaki, Ricardo Gamboa, Nambi Kelly, Dime Davis, Clink Henderson, Ayana Floyd, Adam Glass, Elwood Reed, J. David Shanks, Joseph C. Wilson, T.J. Brady, Jewel Coronel, Rashid Newson, Mike Flynn, Sylvia L. Jones, Terry Coop, Jade Branion, and Lolas Eric Ellie. Dope show. Check it out on Showtime. Definitely keep doing your thing. And that is episode 169, folks, of the Sponsor Day podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell me about it. Hit me up on Twitter, at Spun Today. Don't forget to rate and review the show. And I'm going to leave you with a few different ways you can help support the show, if you so choose. Peace. Hey, folks. Tony here. If you're enjoying the show, do me a favor. Rate and review it on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to help out the show in other ways... I'll give you a one-stop shop of sorts to do so. Go to spuntoday.com forward slash support. That's where you'll find a ton of different ways to help support this show, such as shopping on Amazon. If you do any shopping on Amazon, like most of the world, I ask that you do so by clicking on any of the Amazon banners on my website. This will take you to Amazon where you can do your shopping like you normally do, It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Speaking of Amazon, they fulfill a bunch of the merch that I have available. If you go to spuntoday.com forward slash support, you're going to find a brand new merch section where you'll find the iconic Podcasts vs. Anybody Super Soft Premium Cotton t-shirt. You'll also find the legendary Spun Today Podcast tee, which is in the style of the New York City Plastic Thank You Bags logo. For my fellow Dominicans out there, I have a dope Dominican Escudo t-shirt. You know where the Lacoste or Polo shirts have their little logo? Picture that, but instead, a Dominican Escudo. All available now in a variety of different colors for men and women in all sizes. In the Spun Today merch section, which again is at spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll also find a bunch of other t-shirt designs, long sleeve t-shirts, short sleeve t-shirts, color changing coffee mugs, and much, much more. Check out all the merch at spuntoday.com forward slash support. All of my short stories can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash short stories. The free writing pieces that I read, share, and review during the free writing session episodes of this show can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash free writing. There you can read all the pieces that made the podcast as well as tons and tons of others. My books are available in any digital format of your choice. 
whether it's Kindle, Apple's iBooks, Kobo, you name it. They're also available in paperback. You can check them out at spuntoday.com forward slash books. My debut novel, Fractal, is a sci-fi time travel story of a group of righteous travelers that attempt to right the wrongs of the injustices of the past. My nonfiction, Make Way For You, is a collection of tips for getting out of your own way. So if you need some motivation, inspiration, and a good old-fashioned kick in the ass, that'll be the read for you. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books or search for those titles on Amazon. Another great and free way that you can help support this show is by subscribing to my newsletter by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe. You'll get a photo, podcast, video, quote, and word of the week every single Monday at noon. What else do you have to look forward to on a Monday? Plus, you'll be the first to know whenever I publish a new book. And if for whatever reason you choose to, you can unsubscribe at any time. Go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. At spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll also find links to my Patreon, Kofi, and PayPal donation pages. Patreon and Kofi allow you to make recurring donations per episode, and you even get some bonus content for doing so. PayPal allows you to make a one-time donation to the show. For my fellow writers and creatives out there, a really cool way for you to be featured on this show is to respond to my five-question Spun Today questionnaire. I'll read your responses on a future episode of the show and share them with the Spun Today community. Think about it. If your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? To do so, go to spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at spuntoday on both those platforms. Check out and like the Spun Today Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash spuntoday. I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to the Spun Today YouTube page. Just search for Spun Today on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on my website. There, you'll not only get the full versions of this podcast, but you'll also get bonus content like shortened episode clips and much, much more. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy.